The following is from Red Hill Baptist Church, where we exist to glorify God, grow more like Jesus, and go with the gospel. To find out more about our ministry, or to contact us, please visit redhillbaptist.org. Well, it's always a joy, friend, to join you here, and I wish it was in person, uh, but we will take this because this is second best, right, to be able to connect and worship and encourage one another uh, via video. So thank you for tuning in today. If you do have your copy of God's Word, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1 as we begin this brand new series on the book of Philippians called Finding Joys. I sought the Lord and was really um, praying about what he would have me to bring to the church family for this new year, 2021. He laid Philippians upon my heart, and we've just decided to dive in and just go all in on Philippians. And so we're studying on Thursday nights in a Facebook Live a Bible study, and we would invite you to that. It's at the Red Hill Baptist Church Facebook page, and we begin on Thursday nights at 7. And then we've also taken up the book, as you know now, uh, on uh, Sundays. And so we trust that this time spending God's Word will encourage us and help us, especially when it comes to our joy. Well, we're going to think about our prayer lives today, and I wonder, have you ever heard of the yuppies prayer? That's a term you haven't heard in a while, and so this prayer's been around a little while, but it's an interesting prayer. It goes like this, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray my bank account to keep, I pray my stocks are on the rise, and that my analyst is wise. That all the wine I sip is white, and that my hot tub is watertight. That racquetball won't get too tough, and that all my sushi's fresh enough. I pray my cordless phone still works, and that my career won't interrupt my perks. I pray my microwave won't radiate, my condo won't depreciate. I pray my health club doesn't close, and that my money market grows. And if I go broke before I wake... I pray my Mercedes they won't take. Amen. Well, I'm sure none of us would pray a prayer like that, at least not out loud. We would not share that prayer with anybody else. I think it does get us thinking about our own prayer lives and what it is that we are praying. I want to share with you a story that Haddon Robinson told in his sermon called The Disciple's Prayer. I think you'll see what I mean. He says when his children were small, they played a game. He would take some coins and place them in his hand, and they would sit on his lap, and they would try to get his fingers pried open in order to get to those coins. And he said, according to the international rules of finger opening, once a finger was open, it couldn't be closed again. And his children would sit there, and slowly and methodically, they would painstakingly pry open each one of his fingers and then grab those pennies and run off with glee and delight. Just kids, just a game. But then he wrote something very profound. He said, sometimes when we come to God, we come for the pennies in his hand. Lord, I need a passing grade. Help me to study. Lord, I need a job. Lord, my mother is ill. We reach for those pennies. And when God grants the request, we push his hand away. He said, more important than the pennies in God's hand is the hand of God himself. And that is what prayer is all about. You know, we're going to think about our prayer life, as I've mentioned already. And when you get in the book of Philippians, I don't know about you, but I'm challenged in my own prayer life. You don't actually get very far in the book when you start in chapter 1 and you begin reading. You only make it down to the third verse. And Paul begins to talk about um, his prayer life, and he's very specific, and he tells them that he's praying for them, and he shares with them 
some of the things he's praying. In fact, if you'll look there at verses 3 and 4, he says to them, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. You know, it's a real blessing when someone tells you they're praying for you, isn't it? And Paul tells these believers outright, I'm praying for you. I'm thanking God for you. I'm making requests for you. And we know specifically what some of his requests were. In a real sense, we get a glance at Paul's prayer list, at least a portion of it. And we're going to find out that Paul did not spend his time praying the yuppies prayer. Nor did he spend his time just grasping for mere pennies. In fact, as we look at Paul's prayer, and then we look at our own prayer lives, we might find that his prayers and our prayers were a lot different. If we're honest, sometimes our prayers are filled primarily with that which is physical. Sickness and needs and desires and problems and those sorts of things. And we should pray for those things. Don't misunderstand me. We would encourage you to do that, and we do that. But we find that Paul's prayer, the prayer that he mentions here, it revolves around that which is spiritual. What I want to do is take Paul's prayer list that he mentions here in Philippians and and point out four requests that he made for them. And we're going to cover two of them today, and then we'll save two of them for our next time together. And so if you're taking notes, if you're looking at your own prayer life, I want you to notice, first of all, that he prayed for their love. He prayed for their love. Now, I don't know when the last time you prayed for somebody and their love, but that's what Paul prays here. In fact, look at verse number 9. He says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, And this I pray, so here he's very specific, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Now, it's interesting to note here that the word love, it has no object. He doesn't say that I pray that you will love me more or that you'll love each other more or even that you'll love God more. He just says, I pray that your love may abound more and more. Why is there there no object? Why isn't he praying with an object in mind? Well, as Melek says, it's a characteristic of the lover regardless of the object. In other words, love was to follow in the wake of their living. Love was to be what they were all about. As they went through life, love was just left behind. And you might be thinking, what kind of love is he talking about here? You know, there are various types of love. There's brotherly love. That is phileo, brotherly love. Is that what's mentioned here? No. Uh, There's eros love. That is the sensual, erotic love. Well, certainly that's not what he's talking about. The love he's mentioning here is agape love. It's that Jesus type of love. It's a self-sacrificial love. As someone said, it's a selfless action to benefit someone else. And Christ is the model of this love. This is that Jesus love that gives and gives and gives, uh, not having to have it returned back to them. The Philippians, you know, already had love. It wasn't he was just praying that they would just have love. They already have love. In fact, First John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And they knew God. And so they had love. And First John chapter 4, verse 16, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. And so they already had love. So why does Paul pray that they would have love. Well, notice it says carefully, he's praying that their love may abound still more and more. That is, that they would grow in their love. 
He's very expressive there that it would abound more and more. Gromacki says that the, the picture here behind this verse is a river overflowing its banks. And, and love is that river. So picture in your mind a, a river and love is flowing through and they abound so much in their love that it overflows the banks of that river. But he points out that even a raging river has a destination within certain bounds. And we see the destination here is that they would abound more and more in their love in knowledge and all discernment. That's interesting. That word knowledge there um, in the Greek has the idea of a precise knowledge or an advanced knowledge. And, of course, the question comes, well, where would that knowledge come from? Is it something that just comes out of the air? Well, no. It comes from God himself. Specifically, it comes from God's word. One scholar said that this knowledge, it refers to a thorough mental grasp of spiritual, or rather scriptural truth, spiritual and scriptural truth. What Paul is expressing is that our love is not to be just ignorant. It's not just to be just a sentimental thing. It's not just to be emotional. It's to be rooted deeply in the truth of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 2 and 3 says it this way, um, And walk in love, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as it is fitting for the saints. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, he says it this way, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently, how? With a pure heart. You know, there are some things that we're not supposed to love at all. We're to love what God loves and hate what God hates. And that's why it's so important to be in the Word of God. We have to understand that this book is the final authority for faith and practice. Listen, we're not just making this up as we go along. It's not just a matter of preferences or what's accepted or what culture says. We're to go to the Word of God, find out what God says, to love what God loves and to hate what God hates, and to follow God's path. And he says, I pray that your love would abound more and more in in knowledge And then he says, in all discernment or judgment. And and it really builds upon what he's already said. We're not to love everything. As one author says, love is discerning. It discerns between right and wrong. And can I just remind you, and I know this is not politically correct and it's not popular today, but there are some things that are right and there are some things that are wrong. And we're not the one to make that decision. God is the one who makes that decision. God is the one who puts down what is right and what is wrong. Some things are right. Some things are wrong. We're to make discernment there, discerning choice between right and wrong. Further, between truth and error. Some things are true and some things are not true. Between right and wrong practice. Between correct and false doctrine. Between genuineness and hypocrisy. And if ever there was a day where we needed to exercise discernment and, and sound judgment and have knowledge, you think about all the ideologies and all the teaching and the false teaching, all the things going on in our world, We need to understand what God says in his word and to follow what he says in his word. And beloved, how do we know what's right and wrong? It comes back again to the book, the word of God. And so one of the first things he prays for, for these believers, he tells them, listen, I'm praying that your love 
would abound more and more in all knowledge and discernment that you would be able to know right from wrong, correct from false, that sort of thing. But then he builds right upon that with his second request, and that is he not only prayed for their love, secondly, he prayed for their choices. This time, look at the beginning of verse number 10, Philippians 1.10, that you may approve the things that are excellent. That you may approve things that are excellent. Now, approve there has the idea of um, testing, like the assaying of metals or looking at money, testing money for authenticity to see, is it a counterfeit or is it genuine? Is it real? And, and here we're looking for that which is excellent. Um, as one author pointed out, the things that are worth more, the things that are superior, the things that really matter. You know, life is full of choices. And as believers, a lot of times we do a really good job of, of choosing between that which is good versus that which is evil. I mean, those obvious choices. But the problem is we sometimes don't, we, we don't choose the best over the good. That's where we fail so much of the time. We have two maybe good choices, and we're not sure what the best choice is. And I believe as we come to the beginning of a new year, as we're here still in, as I'm recording this, the very first month of 2021, we need to come to some reality um, checks, I guess you could say, in our lives. We need to come to grips with some truth and some things that are true about us and, and really just grasp some things. In fact, five things I want to share real quickly with you that we need to come to grips with. And number one is this. You can't do everything. Now, I don't know if you knew that or not. I'm sure you found that out if you lived any amount of time. But you can't do everything. No matter what your teacher may have told you in third grade, you cannot do everything. Secondly, we need to understand that you only have one life to live. Only one life to live. And by the way, this is not dress rehearsal. Um, this is not just preparation. This is the real deal. We're living our life this very moment. You're actually spending part of your life listening to me, watching me, and can I just say I'm grateful that you would give me that time because you're literally giving me a piece of your life, just as I'm giving you a piece of my life this very moment. We only have one life to give. And thirdly, we only have so much time, energy, and money. You only have so much time, energy, and money, and that's why you can't do everything. And that's why you only have one life, too, to do all these things, because we realize that we're limited. We only have one life, a certain amount of time, a certain amount of energy, a certain amount of money and resources. We can't do everything. So, fourthly, we do know this, I'm sure, that you make choices constantly. You and I make choices every day. We're constantly making choices. I don't know what time you're watching this, but already today... Uh, you have made choice after choice after choice. Maybe, you know, am I going to get up or am I going to hit the snooze button? What color shirt am I going to wear? What am I going to do today? What am I going to eat for breakfast? And on and on it goes. And we're constantly making choices. Some of them are very minor choices, you know. Uh, some of them are major choices that impact the the life that we're living and, our, and, and where we are and our destination and, and even impact our children and even future generations. And if we're going to be making choice after choice after choice, day in and day out, week after week, I hope you understand that in doing that, we need God's wisdom. We need God's instruction. We need God's guidance in making these choices because we've only got one life to live. We can't do everything. We've only got so much time, energy, and money. We've got to make these choices. We can't just say, well, I'm not going to do anything because we're living life. And fifthly, and I really want you to grasp this, you will give an account for your life. Now, I'm talking to Christians. I'm talking to those who 
know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now listen, if you've never received Jesus Christ, that's the starting point for you. You need to repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And I encourage you, I invite you to do that. And we'd love to help you to understand more about that. But I'm talking to Christians. You and I, as believers, we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. That's not anything to do with salvation. Our salvation, that's forever settled at the foot of the cross. When we give our life to Jesus Christ, we're born again. And if we're truly born again, we're eternally secure, and no man can pluck us out of God's hand. So that's settled. So what's the judgment seat of Christ all about? Well, it's a review of our life. It's giving an account of our life for rewards. And the Bible, the scripture is very clear that some, when they stand there, they're going to suffer loss and and others will be rewarded. Our, Our works are going to be put to the testing fire and those things that remain will be rewarded for. And I know when I look at my life that there's a lot of things that are going to burn up. Things that were not done in the right motive, things that were not done in the right spirit, things that were not done truly for Jesus. But my prayer, and I have a hunch if you're watching this and you're a child of God, that your prayer is the same as mine. And that is you pray that there'll be some things that will remain, that you will not stand empty handed before the Lord at wasting your life, but that you would have things that remain that you did for the Lord Jesus and you'll be rewarded for him. I'm sure you want to hear those words, well done good and faithful servant. And so it comes back to the other realities. We can't do everything. We've only got one life. We've only got so much time, energy, and money. We've got to make decisions every day in so many different realms. So we need God's wisdom, God's direction, God's instruction, because at the end, we're going to give an account of our life. And Paul is praying here for these believers that they would approve things that are excellent. Not just spending their lives even on good things, but spending their lives on the best things. Upon that which is going to have an eternal impact, that which is going to really make an impact for all eternity. You know, think about it. It's good to sit in the recliner and watch something wholesome on TV. And by the way, if you can find something wholesome, I know that's a challenge at times within itself. But it's good. You know, you've had a long day or it's been a long week. You need some downtime. Maybe you sit in the recliner. You get the remote control. You find something wholesome. Watch. That's good. But can I just remind you, it's better to read your Bible. You know, it's good to go to the lake and, and take the family maybe on the pontoon or, or the ski boat or maybe go fishing or, or swimming. That's good. But can I just remind you it's better to be at church on Sunday? And listen, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying never go on vacation. I'm not saying never enjoy wholesome programming on television. I'm not saying never go to the lake. Not at all. But what I am saying is I'm talking about a lifestyle here where I'm making choices and I'm setting patterns in my life and I'm setting patterns for my family and I'm putting forth a direction in life that is not excellent, that is not the best for the life that God has called me to lead and those that God has called me to lead. And, of course, those are either-or examples. Uh, Sometimes it's not either-or. It's a do-both, but make sure you put the emphasis upon that which is most important. For example, you know, it's good to make sure your child, you know, does well in school. And so you work hard and you emphasize they study and they do their homework and they do the assignments and they get good grades and all that sort of stuff. That's good. But can I just remind you it's better to make sure that your child knows and loves Jesus Christ. Now, again, that's a do both, but put the emphasis where the Lord puts the emphasis. To realize they're going to spend 
Well, in relationship to eternity, a very short time in school. It may seem like an eternity to them, but you think about they spend 12 or 13 years and maybe four more years or six years, or if they really want to go after something, eight years or whatever. But think about that amount of time in relationship to eternity. What's really most important? I'm not saying don't encourage them in school. Certainly do that. But never miss the excellent, the most important, that which is most valuable. You know, think about it. It's good that your child can hit a baseball or a softball over the fence and, and hit a home run or they got a great jump shot or, you know, they can spike a volleyball or whatever. Those things are good, but it's better to make sure that your child loves and knows and serves Jesus Christ and is living for Christ and living for that which is eternal, that which is going to outlast them here. Make sure that you're approving things that are excellent. And to do that, we're going to have to get back to this book and spend time in this book studying it and learning it and growing in it and treasuring it and learning what God considers to be the very best and putting the emphasis there. And it becomes easier and easier to choose that which is excellent and that which is best if we'll spend time filling our hearts, our minds, and our lives with the Word of God. And can I just encourage you, and we're out of time today, can I just encourage you to pray these requests for your family this week? To pray that they would grow in their love and more and more abounding in knowledge and discernment. And then pray for their choices. They would make the excellent choice. Can I encourage you to pray that for yourself? That you would grow in your love and and that you would make wise choices. And if you have any time left over, can I just ask you, would you pray that for me? That I would grow in my love and make choices. I would approve that which is excellent. Think about your prayer life. Really think about it. Look at what you're praying for. Look at how you're spending time in your prayer life. Is it all earthly? Is it all temporal? Is it all physical? Or is there a spiritual element just like Paul puts forth here? Philippians 1, 9 and 10. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. May it be so in our lives, my dearly beloved. Now, Father, help us to put this into practice in our own lives. Lord, help us to grow in our love and abound in it more and more in knowledge and discernment. And help us to approve things that are excellent. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We trust that our time together was a blessing to you. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us on Facebook, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and of course on our website at redhillbaptist.org. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you.